Hello, Patrice Rati. I'm Jazz Glarty, and welcome back to the second ever Ask Jazz. I've just come back from Porto in Portugal, and it was an amazing trip. Let me tell you about it because it's very relevant to the podcast. The way this trip came to be is that in episode 89, I had Dr. George Andre Cardoso on the podcast, and we were discussing digital vertebrates, i.e., how to scan when you do the BOPT or the shoulderless technique. They're slightly different, right? So one's shoulderless, one's edgeless. We can talk about that another time. But essentially, this crown preparation or bridge preparation technique, which is pretty much all the rage at the moment and for good reason. You know, I'm a big believer in vertical preps. They are much more conservative. They help you to gain ferrule. They help you help you to preserve the horizontal ferrule uh, and their soft tissues love it. So I'm a big fan of this prep. I've been doing it for some years now, but I knew that so many dentists in the UK wanted to learn. And so in that episode, episode 89, Andre says, hey, why don't you guys come on over and we can do something. And we were just chatting. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. You know, maybe if anyone's interested, if you want to go on this website and register your interest fast forward maybe six to eight months later and we had enough people interested that i managed to organize 16 dentists uh, they happen to be all from the uk and we flew over to porto in portugal uh, and george andre cardoso and his team thank you katia thank you joanna thank you gustavo they uh, treated us to a fantastic course on vertical preparation hands-on so morning with siri afternoon was hands-on all the dentists that came walked away with their own burkits but the best thing about it all was the people the company because it reminds you very much of being at um, Andre's dad's restaurant his, his dad's seafood restaurant in Porto which is part of a package you know we come uh, we, we do the course we include lunch we include dinner at uh, Andre's dad's seafood restaurant in Espino it was phenomenal and we're there at dinner uh, and Andre George Andre Cardoso he shares some some you know f- life philosophy we're talking philosophy and he says Jazz you know I came to realize that uh, life is not about the destination and I said yeah of course not we, we all know it's about the journey he goes no life is not about the destination life is not even about the journey life is about the company and at that moment with the, this packed restaurant full of all these colleagues which are some of them i've never met before uh they were Protrusorati, which i met for the first time which was amazing it made me realize wow this is special you know when you go away for trips it reminded me of being at uni we used to go to these ski trips at den schools and that, they were the best and so the vibe here was just amazing it was just so much fun it was a great city tour of porto we had great food uh, francesinia if you guys don't know what francesinia is i mean i'll, I'll just wrap this up really quickly because you probably want to get to the ask jazz questions francesinia you can't call it a toasty because Portuguese people will get very upset if you call uh, a francesinha a toasty but it is a toasty okay it's a toasty so it's two slices of bread uh, it's a toasty uh, inside the toasty is steak bacon sausage I'm sorry if I'm getting anything my Portuguese people um, and then on top of this toasty is a fried egg okay so awesome meaty toasty fried egg on top wrapped covered smothered in melted cheese wow okay now the whole thing is served swimming in a tomato broth it was just phenomenal they call it heart attack on a plate and oh my god i had far too many on this trip it was just amazing it was the first time i went to portugal and it was a little bit selfish of me to choose portugal because I, I like to go new places uh, and i realized that dentists were hungry to travel abroad now obviously because the pandemic's hopefully coming to an end and travels opening up 
And I think there's a real hunger from everyone to travel abroad to learn from great clinicians, but also to get tax deductible holiday. So if you feel like you want to join us in the next Protrusive Tour, wherever it may be, I haven't got anything in mind just yet, but I think the demand is there. I mean, the same group, I'm speaking to them on WhatsApp daily and they're keen. Let's go again somewhere, right? So uh, I think the scope is there to organize more trips in the future, to have fun, to learn, to experience new culture, to learn from new dentists uh, from around the world and to just have a, a community of dentists which are like-minded uh, having a good time all that is tax deductible so if you like the idea of that go to protrusive.co.uk forward slash excursions and that will take you to a page where you can keep up to date in any future trips that i'm planning because this one went so well so amazing that i definitely want to help facilitate and organize something like this again so if you're wondering why my voice is hoarse it's because i've had a very crazy few days in porto with some lovely people anyway let's hit the questions right so first question from instagram i'm going to block out the names you know but when i get the questions and i help someone out um it, it, then to go back in time and to ask permission to use their name and whatnot so you can see the screenshots but i'm gonna uh, blur out the name because i haven't got permission to share the name of the podcast just yet so this question is hey jazz hope you're well a long time listener of the podcast amazing love you to hear that i wanted to ask your opinion on further postgraduate training i'm getting a bit bored and comfortable with simple nhs work i want to do a year-long course is there any that you recommend either through first-hand experience or from other people you know I've looked at the Tipton courses, Chris Orr's courses, Dr. Banji's masters uh, through Portsmouth Uni. Any advice would be more than welcome. This is such a, a common question, such a big question, a question that ran through my own mind when I was a, a relatively young dentist uh, and I was considering, okay, what am I going to do? Now, the reason I did not do a paid private year-long course is because I did 18 months in total of restorative DCT. So those of you abroad, it's dental core training, like a residency in hospital. Uh, and I got really good exposure when I was at Sheffield. For that one year in Sheffield, I got really great hands-on exposure, thinking full mouth, thinking face bows, articulators, uh, lots of dull cases, one full mouth rehab, which is pretty crazy when you think about it, uh, re-root treatment under microscope. So I got great experience. It was a fantastic post. I loved it. And because I had that sort of experience under my belt, I didn't think it would be necessary for me to splash out on a year-long course. As much as I was tempted by the Aspire Academy, Richard Porter and Tipton and Chris Orr, all these great names, uh, Dr. Stuart Banji, everyone that um, this gentleman named, this dentist named. So there are so many great educators. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to name them all, but just to add a, a few more, Dominic Hassel, Monica Vassan. If you're in the States or Australia, there's even more to consider. Singapore, wherever you are, there are great dentists near you who run year-long courses which are going to really upskill you. But how do you pick how do you pick which is the right one? I think the cost is pretty much similar for all of them, right? So cost is not really, uh, it's a factor, but it's not the factor. I mean, let's be honest, you, you'd rather go to someone who's the best, like who's the most renowned, for whom your friend has been through their training and your friend has something good to say. You're probably going to trust your friend over just a perception that you have about how good someone will train you. Now, there's a big problem in dentistry. There's a huge, huge, huge uh, toxic culture in courses when it comes to dentistry, which is we see all the time positive reviews about courses. But where are the negative reviews? And, and I guess it's a nice thing, I guess, that there aren't um, negative reviews defaming people, which is a good thing. You know, that's a nice, sensible thing. 
But at the same time, if everyone's always saying that, oh, this course is awesome, this course is awesome, this course is awesome. Now, we know that every course is not awesome. So how do you read between the lines and figure out, okay, which course is more likely to, to help me more than another one and which course is not going to sit well with me? Now, put it this way. I know a fantastic educator for whom many people keep raving on about. But I had one of my close friends and he said, oh, he went on it and he thought it was a waste of money. It was terrible. And I, and I, you know, I like and trust my friend here. So it was mixed opinions I was getting about this course. I guess the lesson there is that for some people's values and who you are as a person and what your what kind of lens you wear, and their perception lenses, as you, as you want to call them, the way, the way you see the world will be different to someone else. So when you go on Facebook and you say, oh, I would recommend this course, I would highly recommend Tipton, I would highly recommend Chris or, or whichever course you're thinking of, more than likely you'll be happy as well. But remember that that person's experiences, uh, training requirements, learning needs will be different to yours. So I guess the long-winded way of me saying it is uh, A, it's almost impossible to choose the right course for you, the perfect course for you, because there's there's no trust pilot, right, in dentistry courses. There's no um, place where you can write good and bad reviews. And if you write bad reviews, you will not get ostracized or judged. Because imagine you go out in the open and you, and you write something bad about a course that you went on. Well, dentistry is a really small world. That's why people are afraid to write, oh, you know what? This course was average. No one says that. No, this course, no one says that on social media. Oh, the course is very average because they know that the educator is probably on that forum and they're going to read it and, and the educator was maybe a nice guy or girl and they don't want to offend them. So the, to really now give you the final answer is it doesn't matter, right? These are all respected clinicians. They've got an army of fans on social media raving about how, how awesome their courses are. Chances are if one course is going to be 98% satisfaction, the other one might be 94% satisfaction. Do you see? It's very unlikely that these tried and tested courses that have been running for so many years with such great reviews, which are really out in the open, it's unlikely that you're going to be one of the very few people who were unhappy with it. But the best way to do is find someone who's similar to you, similar learning needs, similar position when they did that course and ask them. And sometimes, you know, if you're in Manchester, find a course that's in Manchester. If you're in London, find a course that's in London. You know, you got to think about cost of travel, um, time away from family, because really, how, how much of a big difference will it make if you choose one educator or another. I don't know because they all seem pretty awesome to me. So don't read into it too much. Figure out which days suit you best, which your, your budget suits you best, which location suits you best and just trust in the process and go into the course with a willingness to learn and willingness to implement that knowledge. That's far more important than if you do um, educator A or educator B. Now, I know lots of people may disagree with me that no, 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 this educator is the best. I don't see it that way. I think that these are all brilliant clinicians. Yes, a few percentage points difference, but how are you going to find out? Until you do every single course, you're not going to find out. So do what feels right to you, my friend, and just run with it. Go with it. Trust the process. Okay, next question is from my buddy Pri, and he asked me, which is the face bow that I should buy? So the most common ones used uh, in the UK particularly are the Dina. Dina is probably the most common one used. There's also Artex, which is the one I have. Although nowadays I'm doing more and more techniques to avoid having to use articulated stuff. I'm using digital techniques, uh, OVD at the right, uh, bite registrations at the correct desired OVD, lots of photos, a stick bite, using the TMJ as the best articulator and being very comfortable to adjust the temporaries to, to, to refine the occlusion how I want it before then moving to definitive. So that's a good way to bypass all of that. But I still think it's so important to, for the restorative dentist to be familiar with face bows and articulators. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app 
for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We worked so hard on this protrusive team and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. So the question is which which Facebook? Like I said, there's Dina, there's Artex, there's Sam3, there's a few other brands out there. I think the best way to decide is to speak to your technician, ceramist or your lab who you think is going to be there for you for the comprehensive cases. So you find out which articulator your lab is using because guess what? The, the lab that I use, they prefer not to use Dina, believe it or not. And I use another lab which actually prefers the Dina system and they don't have. So if I send them my Artex Facebook transfer jig, they, they can't use it. They prefer me to use a Dina. So the lab I use now is the one that I can send them my Artex Facebook to and they have the Artex articulators. Do you, do you understand what I'm trying to say? The best person to advise you on this is a person who's going to be uh, mounting. So yes, you may be mounting yourself, fair enough, but you want to be working in tandem with your laboratory, with your technician, with your ceramist. So the best Facebook is for the articulator or the system that your technician prefers. Simple as that uh, and, and that would be my go-to. Pick up the phone, call your technician, find out which Facebook they want you to buy. Okay, next one's from one of my Splint course delegates. Uh, we were just talking on our uh, secret group uh, and there was a case posted where there was some deviation on mouth opening uh, and this patient was a potential for orthodontics. So we were doing joint health screening prior to orthodontics, which is really, really important, right? So uh, I talked through the process and we decided that, okay, this patient should be consented appropriately and the risks and whatnot, but it's probably safe to have orthodontics. Knowing what we know, the lack of uh, locking uh, and generally no, no pain symptoms and the signs which are manageable, we decided that, okay, this patient is suitable for orthodontics, but with appropriate consent that, okay, there is potentially a weakness in your jaw joint. Uh, and then we looked at, I helped her to look at the ClinCheck together. Uh, on, on Zoom and we uh, we looked at the, the clean check and the patient had a crossbite. Now, I think this was a posterior crossbite in one area and I had suggested that, okay, it's interesting, the crossbite is on that one side and this may have something to do with the reason why the, the jaw deviates on opening actually. It's trying to get back to a central position but the crossbite forces the jaw to move to another position. But I, I had suggested, hey, why don't you do the bite registration for the ClinCheck in the centric relation contact position? So one of the things that taught me on my orthodontic diploma is it's not enough when you're presenting your uh, orthodontic plan to a supervisor, it's not enough to say, okay, the patient has a crossbite. You should never just say the patient has a crossbite. You should say the patient has a crossbite with or without displacement because this is very important. So if someone has a crossbite, we know what crossbite is. If they have a crossbite with displacement, it usually means that in their centric relation contact position, they are hitting onto that crossbite tooth or crossbite teeth. And then the jaw is deviating or deflecting in to another area to move around the crossbite. So crossbite with 
or without a displacement. So if the jaw moves, it's displaced, but if the, the jaw is not affected by the cross bite tooth or teeth in any way, uh, and it's nothing to do with the centriculation contact position, then it's without displacement. So this is important because when we're planning for orthodontics, sometimes, or as always, you should check whether the cross bite has a displacement or no displacement. And if it does have a displacement, we then must consider, should we treat from that position, so for the either optimum joint health or to improve the prognosis of being able, being able to move the teeth. So for example, in, in, in their MIP, it may look like, whoa, this crossbite is really extreme. But in their centric relation contact position, the crossbite doesn't look so scary anymore. So that is so important. Now, the, the, the crux of it is this. When I suggested to this dentist that, hey, you know, you should uh, scan the bite in the centric relation contact position because we found out that it was a crossbite with displacement, run a ortho simulation or clin check from there and then decide which is the best plan for the patient in terms of their, their joint health and the, the, the tooth movements, and then present that plan to the patient. Now, here's the interesting thing that the dentist said to me. She said, okay, I will give the patient an option whether I should treat her in this bite or in that bite. I was like, no, 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 you, you, you can't do that. It's like an orthopedic surgeon saying to you, okay, um, should I, you want me to treat your hip in this position or, or, or that position? Right? Like, how would a patient know whether how, how the orthopedic surgeon should place the hip in, in a different position, right? So just like that, can you imagine a patient having to make a decision? Wait, uh, I, wait what the hell is MIP? What's a central relation contact point? Some of the dentists listening to this may have heard, heard of all these things for the first time if you're, if you're a new graduate, right? So how do you expect a patient to understand the pathophysiology, the mechanics, orthodontic movements, kinesthetics of temporomandibular jaw border movements, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? How can you say that to a patient? Okay, oh, do you want me to treat in position A or position B? That is a clinician-led decision. You need to decide what comp compromises you um, would be made if you treat in position A or position B and you should recommend and, and present the plan that okay to, to treat your issue we need to fix you in this bite you don't give the patient the option of uh, can I, should I treat you in this joint position or, or, or that joint position I guess in some cases with ClinCheck, what it is that you, because you can simulate different um, different bites and different scenarios, usually, yeah, we can say, okay, if I treat you this way, it's going to cost you, not cost you, it's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you twice the amount of time by treating you this way. But when it comes to joint health, I feel as though we need to decide, okay, is that joint important or not? And if it is, can you improve anything by, by planning your orthodontics in a better way, even though some orthodontists listen to this right now saying, Jazz, you're, you're on shaky grounds here. You know you cannot improve or deteriorate the joint health from orthodontics, etc., etc. But come on, guys, if there's an option to treat the patient in central relation contact position and that improves your um, tooth movement mechanics and that's a better position for the jaw joint and that's a better position for the TMJ, we should explore that. So sorry if that got a little bit complicated, but the, I guess the crux for those um, younger dentists here is sometimes you need to pick and choose the, the, the way that you communicate to a patient and, and what you actually, it's a bit like asking the patient, um, you have a crack in your tooth. When I treat this tooth, do you want me to chase the crack? Or do you want me to not chase the crack? Can, I mean, can you, can you, can you, do you understand that? Like, why would a patient know whether to chase a crack or not? It's the same way. You can't tell a patient, oh, do you want me to treat in position A or position B? So remember, some things, you are the dentist. You need to use your best knowledge and experience and mentorship to present the plan that is appropriate for the patient. You cannot give this kind of control to a patient, i.e. chase a crack or not chase a crack or treat you in this position or treat in that position. So just be careful how you present things to patients. Sorry if that one got a little bit confusing. Okay, last question, guys. This was from our protrusive down community. It's from my buddy uh, Kjartan in uh, Scandinavia. Uh, and he posted a case 
of a lateral incisor which had a little bit of resorption because this patient had prior orthodontics. Now, this patient had relapse and was interested in more orthodontics. And so Kyaten asked, you know, what do I do? Like, um, what kind of uh, consent do I have to give to the patient? What are the risks here? Is it safe to do another round of orthodontics, which is what the patient wants? So um, our buddy Farouk Ahmed, if you haven't listened to episode 71, please listen. It's, it's a great one. It's called The Do's and Don'ts of Aligners. That's The Do's and Don'ts of Aligners, episode 71. So protrusive.co.dk forward slash 071 will take you straight to that. Uh, he did such a great job of summarizing which movements with aligners are predictable, which aren't. Uh, and so uh, Farouk came to the rescue on our Facebook group and he gave a fantastic reply, uh, which was that we don't know exactly which factors increase root resorption, but we know how much of an effect uh, uh, certain features have or certain movements have. So he shared a, a study uh, by Curel 2019 and Sondaika 2020, uh, and there's a little table. So essentially, the, 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 the advice that Farouk gave, and this is what you should apply to any patient who has evidence of root resorption, and you are considering to do orthodontics and you're consenting the patient, you should stick to light forces. So actually, with aligners, we know that we are giving lighter forces with aligners than fixed appliances. And uh, the top pearl that Farouk gave was that you can reduce the velocity of tooth movements with your aligners. So imagine uh, it takes 20 aligners to get the desired result. For that same patient, you would do it in 40 aligners. Still the same result, but your each aligner is doing half the movement. So you're going at a much slower pace, which is lighter forces. Now, this is interesting because it's, it's lighter forces, which is really important. But at the same time, one of the factors in, in the little table that you put up, and I'll share that with you now for those watching, is duration was one factor which was uh, associated with higher risk of root resorption. So uh, many years of treatment is obviously uh, much worse for resorption risk than just a year or some months of treatment. So the longer the treatment duration, the more likely a patient would have root resorption. The other really important, in fact, the greatest thing is intrusion. Intrusion was associated with 11 times greater root resorption than controls in the study. So the other thing to learn is that if you're going to treat this patient, treat them with aligners, the treat them slow, but hopefully not too long with duration, I guess. Hopefully, maybe manage uh, relapse cases only. Anything more complex than that, send it to an orthodontist. It's not worth your time as a GDP. The risk is too great, I'd say. And therefore, to additionally reduce your risk, you would prevent intrusive movements. You would prevent intrusive movements and you actually would, if possible, prevent extrusive movements because extrusion was associated with a 4.5 times greater root resorption than controls. So avoid long treatment, avoid heavy forces, avoid intrusion, avoid extrusion. So if you want to check that out, get, join the Protrusive Dental community. There's so many great gems and pearls shared by the community there. Uh, that's all the questions I had time for today. The next episode is on suturing. I'm very excited to share that. And I've got so much other great content. I literally just recorded with Ed McLaren the other day and I'm so excited to share uh, ceramic selection with you guys. That's a, you know, how to choose your ceramic in 2022. That's upcoming as well. So thanks for, for catching this uh, AJ002. Thank you for putting up with my very hoarse voice. I appreciate you listening all the way to the end. I'll catch you in the next one.